Welcome to Foul Players Radio, your podcast for arts, entertainment, and pop culture. My name is Michael Spedden, your host. Every episode features interesting people with fun, fascinating stories about their journeys in the performing arts. Authors, actors, musicians, dancers, athletes, comics, you name it. Sit back, relax, and have a listen. Let's have some fun. Foul Players Radio is a proud production of the Foul Players Group and a proud member of the SJ Network. And welcome again to the quarantine edition of Foul Players Radio. My name is Michael Spedden. Today's guest is Carl Gottlieb. Carl Gottlieb has contributed a lot to movies and television in a career that goes back to the early 60s. Boy, it's kind of hard to decide where to begin. Well, in the early 60s, he started with the committee. The committee was an improvisational group that came from San Francisco, and as a member of the committee, he worked with people like Howard Hessman that we know from WKRP in Cincinnati, Peter Bonyers, who we know from the Bob Newhart Show, and Larry Hankin, who was just a guest on this show, and we've seen him in Home Alone, in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Escape from Alcatraz, and lots of other feature films. He wrote many episodes of the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour back in the 60s, and also wrote for Saturday Night Live, Flip Wilson, Bob Newhart, and for a series of specials for George Burns. As an actor, we know him as Iron Balls McGinty from The Jerk. He was also in MASH, the movie version of MASH, and in Clueless. As a director, he's directed segments of Amazon Women on the Moon, our favorite anthology movie from the 80s, the Invisible Man segment with Ed Begley Jr., and the Pet House Pet segment. He also wrote and directed the movie Caveman with Ringo Starr, Barbara Bach, Randy Quaid, John Matuzak, and Avery Shriver. He's probably best known for writing the screenplay for Jaws. He wrote the screenplays actually for Jaws and Jaws 3, and wrote the entire movie of Jaws 2. As a matter of fact, he's got a book out called The Jaws Log, which you can get online. Just about any website that sells books sells it. And he'll also be appearing on October 25th at the Mystic Film Festival up in Mystic, Connecticut. So make sure you check that out if you're in the area. So we've got a lot to talk about today, and we'll be right back with Carl Gottlieb right after these words. Hello, listeners. I've got some great news from one of our former guests. Barbara Bustard has just released a book called The Art of Healing, 12 Step-by-Step Meditative Art Exercises for Improved Physical, Mental, and Spiritual Well-Being. Miss Bustard bears her soul and shows us who she is through her stories and exercises. This is a book to be felt and experienced, an artist's work. Art is a way to work through all that life gives us, whether it is happy, sad, or anything in between. Art is a creative, safe, healing, and everything special place. It is the place to work through the stress that underlies all disease. In her book, The Art of Healing, 12 Step-by-Step Meditative Art Exercises for Improved Physical, Mental, and Spiritual Well-Being, Ms. Buster describes the process to make healing happen. The meditative exercises in this book are described in a very simple, clearly articulated manner. They are appropriate for any level of artistic experience. Just reading this book, Ms. Buster's exercises touch you at a feeling level. You are moved from your thinking analytical brain to creative expression. It is available now on Amazon for $29, and it's gotten many positive reviews from readers so far, so pick up your copy today. Her website is artforbodymindandsoul.com. Also remember, the holidays are just around the corner. We all love to support our local small businesses and artists. Make sure you get your copy today. It makes a great gift. Foul Players Radio is now a proud affiliate of the SJ Network. 
If you're a performer, an actor, musician, filmmaker, author, you name it, in need of a good publicist, call Steve Joyner, 816-605-4561, or you can email him at stevesjnetwork at gmail.com. He has many years of experience in the entertainment business. He's competent, confident, and takes great care of his clients. He would be the publicist for you. Call Steve at 816-605-4561 or stevesjnetwork at gmail.com. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Chris Ristali of Breaking the Fourth Wall. If you enjoy our show, you can find it on YouTube. Just look up Realm of the Mist Entertainment or just look up Realm of the Mist Entertainment on Anchor.fm, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. And also you can find us on all the social medias. Just look for Realm of the Mist Entertainment. And I will catch you on the other side. I'm Michael, the host of the semi-monthly podcast, In a City Like Yours. Join me as I chat with interesting people with interesting life stories. You can listen to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can follow us on Twitter at IACLYS Podcast, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at In a City Like Yours Podcast. Please feel free to let me know what you think. And keep coming back for the many interesting stories in a city like yours. Hey, this is Don Smith from the Life Radio Show. If you've always wanted to learn more about the world of low-budget filmmaking and even lower-budget comedy, tune into the Life Radio Show. You can live stream the show at wwsu1069.org on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Or find us wherever you find podcasts and like and follow the Life Radio Show on Facebook for live video and other shenanigans. Hey, what's up? This is Chris Ristali of Realm of the Mist Entertainment. The podcast you are listening to is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com. That's s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and information on those shows, as well as information and ability to contact publicist Steve Joyner for more information. Just go to the website and check out the family, ladies and gentlemen. Until then, enjoy the show. Well, welcome to the show, Carl Gottlieb. It's nice to meet you. Uh, Welcome to Foul Players Radio. Nice to be here, and I would... I'm glad you're spelling foul with a W. We sure are, and I'll tell you the story behind that a little bit later. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, You know, you've got a really long and you know storied career and lots of interesting things. You know, I was uh, looking over a number of articles in your IMDb page and researching you a bit on YouTube, and I mean, you've just you know your whole career. You know, you've been you've worked around you know just such a who's who of entertainment out there, and you know, you've contributed so much to the entertainment field in the time that you've been doing this here. I mean, I really don't know where to start and begin, but I guess we'll start asking about the committee. Tell us about the committee. Well, that was that was my like first professional. Uh, so well, it was that was the job on which I got my actor's equity card. I had done a lot of. Uh, off-Broadway and really uh, fringe theater in New York. 
But when I joined the committee, I became a member of Actors' Equity, and it was a real job, and I was a stage manager, and then later I became an actor in the company, and then I directed the company for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it was uh, the happiest collaborative experience of my life to this day. Yes. We were doing 13 shows a week, you know, two a night, three on Saturday. We had one day off. We were playing in a club with 350-seat theater. We wow. served alcohol and food, and the audiences were great. There were a lot of students from Berkeley, um, a lot of tourists, a lot of San Francisco residents. We had a hip audience who appreciated what we were doing. And it was, and, and I loved the company. I mean, those are the fabulous people to work with. So, I, I, what's not to like? Right, right. I was looking through some of the names of people that had been performing in that company. Um, uh, Larry Hankin was a former guest on Foul Players Radio. I had him on about a month or so ago, and um, just a great guy, very, very nice, and you know, told me lots of great stories about his career. I noticed, um, I saw in one of the clips online, uh, a young, uh, Howard Hessman, as yep. we all know from WKRP, and um, we also... Go ahead. Oh, and uh, we also had Peter Boningers, who we remember from the Bob Newhart show. Uh, he played um, Jerry the Dentist, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Richard Stahl, um, Mel Stewart, who played Henry Jefferson on All in the Family and had been in um, a number of other movies back in those days. And uh, Rob Reiner was part of it, too, wasn't he? Yes, he was, uh, briefly. Yeah, that's great. That's very interesting. Very interesting. And... Um, you know, I saw a couple of the bits on um, you know, YouTube, um, some of the things from a show with Dick Cavett, and um, I think there was one of the things where you did two sketches in about a minute and a half, which I thought was just brilliant. Sure. And um, <laughs> you were planning a surprise party for somebody, and the person just dropped dead. <laughs> and, um, yep, hey, could happen, you know? <laughs> and uh, we did the Smothers Brothers show. Uh, we did a sketch called Trapeze, which was very funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, we you know we 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 appeared all over. Right, uh, right. You know, we, we were relatively popular act. Yeah, it, yeah, I, I can see. Yeah, um, and there were a lot of other names that performed because there were actually a couple of chapters, I guess you would say, of that. Because wasn't there one? There was one in San Francisco. Well, the the, the mother the mothership was uh, on Broadway in North Beach in San Francisco. Okay. That's the company that I joined as a stage manager in 1963. Okay. I directed a company there while the original company went to Broadway. I stayed behind and directed a, uh, a caretaker company with Avery Schreiber and Dick Shaw. Oh, okay. And some other people. And then, then I went to New York and I worked for a season on Broadway with uh, Arthur Cantor, who had produced the committee on Broadway. Oh. And I came back as an actor in 66 in a company with Howard Hessman and some of the other, that was directed by Peter Bonners. Okay. That's a company that had Del Close in it and John Brent. Sure, okay, okay, sure, sure, sure. Del Close was really well known. He did a lot of great things in comedy, um, mentored a lot of people. Yes, he did. Yep, yep. Um, I was also looking through here, too, and and, and soon after this time, um, it looks like it was, I think it started maybe in 67 or 68, um, you got involved with the Smothers Brothers show um, right. on um, television. Uh, the, brothers, the brothers saw the show on, in, in L.A., 
and they were putting together a summer show, a replacement show. Because in those days, if you had a successful variety show, mm-hmm. you were Carol Burnett or Red Skelton or the Smothers Brothers, uh, they would give you your time slot for the summer mm-hmm. at a reduced license fee. You couldn't; They wouldn't give you the same budget as for the winter. Right. But they would give you your time slot, and you could produce whatever you wanted to fill that time. Mm-hmm. So the Smothers Brothers introduced Glenn Campbell. It was called the Summer Brothers Smothers Show, star <laughs> Glenn Campbell. And then <laughs> Glenn was such a hit <laughs> that he got picked up for his... Uh, as a solo, as, as a Glenn Campbell show. Right, right, right. Yeah, I can remember a lot of these shows from when I was just a you know young kid and then seeing a lot of them in reruns too. But um, I always loved the Smothers Brothers humor and everything. And um, were as political as you could get in those days. They really, Yeah, that really was. And, um, and as I was kind of mentioning to you earlier, I mean, this was a time, I think that was pretty revolutionary in TV. Um just from what I've heard and what I've seen, you know, looking back and watching a lot of the shows and how the things changed, I guess, right around the late sixties and early seventies, um, you know, um, you know, for example, I mean, one thing that I was just kind of thinking of here, and I, I don't know if you agree with me or not, you know, but you know, Gomer Pyle, USMC was on for five years and I don't remember anybody mentioning getting sent over to Vietnam during that time. Um, you know, things were kind yeah. of, there, there, there was a uh, there was a big blind spot in television. Yeah, um, and then um, you know, of course, there was you know all the farm shows like the you know the Green Acres and the Petticoat Junction and RFD and Andy Griffith, and um, it, it seemed like it kind of went from that show almost like an abrupt stop, right into All in the Family. You know, the Smothers Brothers who were very outspoken, right, um, and even even la- laughing. Laughing, topical and funny, but the polit- as political as they got was having Richard Nixon say "suck it to me." Right, right, right. Well, so I mean, we were, we were much more serious about our politics. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, yeah, I you know I, I can remember seeing on some of the older episodes, um, you know, Dan Rowan wearing like a peace pendant around his neck or something with his tie. Oh um, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, they were they were f- faux peace sticks. Right. We, we were the real thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you- we had Joan Baez on the show. Sure. Uh, and then we were all contemporaries. We did benefits for the free speech movement and for the winter soldier movement. Mm-hmm. Some of us toured with Jane Fonda uh, on a, doing soldier shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, like I say, we were very political. Right, right, right. Um, some of the folks that I saw listed in, you know, uh, when I was looking at writers for the Smothers Brothers show, like yourself, um, Bob Einstein was in there, um, and who also yeah. performed on the show. What was he like to work with? Bob was great. He was, you know, he, he, he you know, he loved comedy. Mm-hmm. It was a great. It was like four or five of us who all got hired for Glenn Campbell, and then renewed and picked up for Smothers. It was mm-hmm. me, Bob Einstein, Steve Martin, mm-hmm. a, a comedian named Murray Roman, uh, Rob Reiner. Mm-hmm. Then named Paul Wayne, who wrote most of Pat Paulson's material. Right, right. Lee French was on the show. She wrote a lot of her own material. Mm. Uh, there was, you know, there was a, a heavy committee presence on the Smothers show. Oh yeah, what what a what a dream team of writers! 
My oh, gosh. Einstein was fabulous. That's what he developed, Officer Judy. Right, Officer Judy. Um, and then later on, he eventually evolved into Super Dave. You know, um, that was always one of my favorites. I have a, um, I'm, I'm a musician as well as an actor. And um, I have a uh, 1978 Gibson RD Artist bass, which is my baby. And for the past 30-some years, I've had a Super Dave decal on that case. And um, John John Hartford was in that company, too. Yes, 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 you're right. Yep. And um, so I see, like, a lot of, you know, a lot of the folks on here, like Bob Einstein, were writers, but you were also allowed to come out and perform. Um, I can remember seeing a bit of a young Steve Martin coming out and doing, like, a comedy bit where he was a magician. And yep. st- sticking his tongue through a paper towel <laughs> and doing the napkin trick or whatever. Yep. And um, so I, I guess um, you had the opportunity to maybe write yourselves in once in a while. Did you have to go through a lot well, of Yeah, we, they, we, it was kind of understood that if you were uh, a writer on the show, uh, that you would perform in sketches if you were needed. Oh, okay. The, the, the cast of Smothers Brothers shows was just the brothers plus guest stars. So right. they were going to do sketches. They needed other, you know, other performers. And the writers in the writers' room, they had a pool mm-hmm. of guys who had the experience on stage and loved performing. Oh. So I performed on the Smothers Brothers both as a member of the cast. Mm-hmm. When the committee did a guest shot, I appeared as a member of the committee. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so, uh, and we all did. You know, Hart, John Hartford did stuff. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Lorenzo Music uh, was a writer with me. He was my partner. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, so so yeah, that was pre-Carlton the Doorman. <laughs> I loved Carlton the Doorman on Rota. Yeah. And... Well, Lorenzo and I wrote a monologue for Bob Duhart that he put into his act. And, and, and then as a result of that monologue, he hired Lorenzo to produce the Bob Newhart show, the first the first version of it. Is that right? Is that yep. right? Yeah, I remember seeing that name Lorenzo Music in um, in, in credits a lot. You know, back yeah. in those days uh, for a, a lot of different TV shows and everything. And um, I think I even saw an animated special when I was a kid. Yeah. Gar- he's the voice of Garfield for a while. Did Garfield and Carlton the Doorman actually? I think it was a cartoon of it. Um, I don't think it lasted um, beyond no, one episode. He, he kept busy. He worked. He he worked that character pretty well. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Um, another one of my favorites. Um, you know, somebody really, you know, I used to like, and I saw him on a lot of different TV shows. Was Pat Paulson? Oh yeah. Was he a writer on the show as well, or was he just like a regular performer? He was a performer. He had. There was a guy named Cecil Tuck who wrote most of his material with with him. I mean, you know, Pat. Pat was a you know was a was a nice stand up comic. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and but when he developed you know the Pat Paulson for president, and the, <laughs> Paulson, and the Pat Paulson editorials that he would do, mm-hmm. uh, you know he became a huge media favorite. Right, right. I can remember a stand up comic saying, "I forget what year it was. I think Pat Paulson may actually win this year. You never know, right?" <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, another person that I had known that had that I had heard had written on the show, but I know there had been a couple of different um, versions of the Smothers Brothers show throughout the years. It had been like brought back a couple of times. Um, did Don Novello work with you on that show, um, Father he, Guido? He guessed it. He played Guido Sarducci, 
and he might have guessed it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. It was very early in his career. Okay, okay. I was wondering about that because I had I'd read somewhere that he had been a writer for them and then maybe had performed, I guess like you had been mentioning here. Yeah, exactly. He, he Don Novello, mm-hmm. and, and somebody else. Um, oh. Yeah, it slips my mind. But, you know, the, yeah, we had, like, like I said, we had performers who did sketches and, mm-hmm. and uh, wrote. Yeah, yeah, Don Bello was there too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. An- another person I thought it was interesting from the Smothers Brothers, and I loved you know that song that he had at was Mason Williams, and he had written on a lot of them, I think, right? Oh, a what? He had written on a lot of the shows. Uh, oh yeah, well he, he and Tommy are very close friends, mm-hmm. and he had done he had written a, a big, a huge hit called Classical Gas. I love that song. And he was. Uh, a very prolific, you know, writer, and, and he kept journals, and he uh, uh, he was he was like a mentor mm-hmm. to Tom. He was like a a counselor, right? In addition to being a writer. Okay, interesting, interesting. And uh, you know, past that, you know, throughout the seventies, uh, you had acted in the Mash, mo- the the movie version of Mash with Robert Altman. Right. You had mentioned. Um, tell us a little bit about that experience, because that was a good movie, you know, and ended up being a very successful. And I owe it to improvisation, because mm-hmm. Altman was looking for people who were comfortable with improvisation. Mm-hmm. In that cast, there's half a dozen members who were in little improv companies. There was me. Um, uh, oh, God. My names are slipping away. Uh, Danny Goldman. Mm-hmm. uh Tall, uh, tall, thin guy with a big nose and glasses. Uh, oh God, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, I think I know who you mean. Um, yeah, I just saw an article about him. I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank too. It'll come to me, but I know. <laughs> I know who you're anyway, talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, so Altman wanted people who were comfortable with him, with improvisation because mm-hmm. you know, he was he encouraged us. Sure. Tamara Horrocks, one of the nurses. There mm-hmm. was, there was you know, more than a few of us. And, and Altman encouraged us to play with our lines and make up new ones. Mm-hmm. And Ring Lardner Jr., who wrote the screenplay, was so offended by the changes that we wrought on his baby mm-hmm. that he wanted to take his name off the script. Right, right. And then he was nominated for an Academy Award. He was right back. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and then, he was nominated for a script that he had no, nothing to do with. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Wow. It was a framework for Altman's improvisation. Wow. 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 Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, too, about uh, you know, writing and, you know, again, with a lot of the controversy around the Smothers Brothers, um, what kinds of, um, I, I know the network would, I guess, pressure them. Um, they were censoring them and things like that. What was that like? I mean, cause I guess it, you were kind of a writing supervisor there too, weren't you? Yes. As a matter of fact, the show that won the Emmy, I was one of the co-head writers on that show. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, and that was because that Chris, Chris Beard and Alan Bly, who were nominally the, the work, the, you know, the working producers, mm-hmm. uh, they would rotate the head, head writer, head writer producer job around, you know, around the writers. We all got a chance to be a head writer and a producer. And it just happened that I was the head writer mm-hmm. and had a lot of 
material in the actual episode that won the Emmy. Oh, okay. So I'm kind of proud of that. Interesting. Uh, but, uh, 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 Altman, like I said, he encouraged us and we made stuff up and he put it all in the movie and he had a photographic style that encouraged us to to improvise. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a very comfortable, you know, happy gang because we were all there for the run of the picture. Mm-hmm. So we were there for like 12 weeks. And every day we'd go out to the Fox Ranch mm-hmm. to the set, which they used for the TV series, too. Oh, sure. And, and we'd, uh, we'd make the movie. Is that right? Is that right? Wow. Wow. That sounds like quite an experience. Um, oh, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I actually knew somebody that was involved in the TV show. Um, it, so you said it was the same set that was used there in the mountains, in, yeah. I guess, in California. He had a job where... Um, and he, t- he told me he had a security job there. He would be there at night to make sure that coyotes and mountain lions wouldn't wander onto the set. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how accurate that is. I guess maybe they were there. Who knows? Alamo Canyon was pretty wild. Yeah. Okay. okay. Still is. <laughs> I mean, it's a state park now, but when the Fox Ranch was there, that's where we shot. Oh, okay. okay. It, was, it was great because we'd get at the bus. We'd meet at the Fox lot on Pico Boulevard. Mm-hmm. And we all get on the bus or in cars. If you were a star, you got a car. If you were a day player, you got on the bus. Sure. If you were a you got on the extras bus. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we get on, the, and get on the vehicles, and we drive up the 101, and we turn into uh, Malibu Canyon. Okay. And we turn into the Fox Ranch. And the first thing that we'd go past was the set for Planet of the Apes. Oh, wow. Wow. I love that show, too. Planet of the Apes. And then we would drive through the Chinese compound that was used for the sand pebbles, mm-hmm. big, big Chinese compound. And then as you kept going, you'd see a army truck on its side, burnt out, obviously torpedoed or mm-hmm. burnt out tank or a half track. And then you realize you were getting into the mountains of Korea. Sure. Okay. <laughs> you would turn the corner and there would be the mash compound huh. with all the tents and the nest tent and, you know, the, the, the little, uh, that little uh, hill on the helicopters landed and took off from. Sure, sure, sure. And Altman wanted us to be comfortable, so uh, we were, they didn't have, like, dressing room trailers, you know, and, and mm-hmm. he, he, all the tents were practical. Oh, they okay. All had, they all had beds and, 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 they, and props. I mean, I had a bunk. Mm-hmm. Where John, the anesthesiologist, slept, mm-hmm. and there were magazines in my little bookcase, Collier's from 1951. Huh. It was really, when Hollywood does something, they really do it. They sure do. They sure do. Um, I, I can. I have similar stories from some of the sets I've been on with, you know, like Gotham when I was on that show. Um uh-huh. It was a set that, well, I'll just tell you real quick here. I know this is your show, but um, <laughs> I was in a scene where um, I was in the laboratory of the Riddler, and it was like an old lab and had a lot of old books on the shelves, thousands of them. And they were all real books. None of them were like those fake books that you see at a furniture store up on the shelves. Yeah. Every last one of them was real, you know, and um, they, it, I guess it made a difference, you know, Um 
when it comes to that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. They don't play around when it comes to props, you know? Uh, yep. Um, so looking a little farther in here, I see that you had um, worked on a number of, um, it looked like like variety type specials. Yep. Um, I, I see four, that. Oh, go ahead. I did four Flip Wilson specials. Yeah. Tell me about uh, those. That was great. The first one was produced by Lauren Michaels. Oh, wow. No kidding. And, and uh, our guests on that first show were Peter Sellers, Lily Tomlin. Wow. And uh, Martha, Martha without the Vandellas. Okay. Uh, and uh, Flip and Richard Pryor. Sure, sure. Wow. Like, what a good cast to, to write sketches for Richard Pryor and Lily, Lily Tomlin and Flip Wilson. That was, that was a joy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I could imagine that. I could imagine that. So I guess when you have the assignment to write for these shows, um, I guess I'm just trying to think about the process here. Um, so, I mean, I guess you know who's coming on. I guess you kind of know their humor style or something that may be going on with them at the time, and you're able to kind of gear your jokes around that. Is that kind of how you do it? Yeah, it was kind of, it was like the Smothers Brothers. We they give us the guest bookings mm-hmm. and see who was going to be on the show, and we try to think of something funny for Liberace to do or Jonathan <laughs> Winters or you know whoever the casts were. Wow! Uh, and uh, we'd write the material. Then, of course, we had to submit the, to the to the actors, mm-hmm. and uh, if it was okay with them, they would uh, they would do it. And if they were team players, Lily Tomlin especially was, mm-hmm. they. They would do the material to the best of their capability. They didn't, you know, they didn't ad lib around it. They, you know, they they performed this material as written, and they scored with it. They, they were successful. Sure, sure. So, um, like I know Lily Tomlin on a number of shows had that, um, you know, the operator character, and then the little kid sitting in the giant care, the giant well, chair I, character. I, I hired her. Uh, she was on a show I worked on called Music Scene. Mm-hmm. Which was before laughing. We were her first network TV show. Is that right? Yep. Is that she was right? in a little repertory company of sketch players that included Larry Hankin and oh. David Steinberg and Lily Tomlin huh. and a couple of dancers from New York, huh. uh, Chris Pacino and Paul Reed Roman. Right. Uh, and and uh, uh, and she was great. I mean, you know, she's obviously a talent mm-hmm. and. She went almost. She went directly from that show to laughing. Right, right, right. And um, so when when so did she? She I guess she kind of took those characters with her from show to show, didn't she? Well, she she um, uh, she she developed her own characters. Right, and right. Shows were happy to have them, and uh, so they they you know they built the big chair for for Edith Ann, and they you know. Uh, and they built, you know, built a switchboard for the uh, for uh, Ernestine, the operator, telephone operator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I, I, I was just trying to kind of just really put into place how all that worked. So, um, and uh, Lily is one of those gifted. Like, she, Lily is like Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. That uh, she, you know, she creates her own material, and she had a partner named. Uh, she had two partners, Jane Wagner. Mm-hmm. Uh, who she wrote her Broadway show with. Okay. So she's had a writing uh, and life partner for the last 40 years. 
Oh, right, right, right. Right. Yeah, I'd heard that she, yeah, I'd heard that you know she had had a partner that you know was also somebody that she collaborated with. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. I never knew the name, but yeah. Wagner. Right. Huh. And uh you had written an episode of Bob Newhart? Yep. And yep. Uh, I guess uh you got a chance to work with Peter Bonniers again, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he also directed a pilot that I wrote with uh Catherine O'Hara and Tim Matheson. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, Catherine O'Hara is great. You know, she's still at it. Uh, I think she did very well this year. Her show Shit's Creek. Oh yeah, they they backed up the Emmys this year. They deserved them. Yeah, they sure did. They sure did. That's a great ensemble. That's a great ensemble. Um, you had also written for. Um, I was looking. It was Sammy and Company. I guess that was a Sammy Davis Jr. show. Yes, that 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 show was was kind of famous because SCTV parodied parodied it. Sammy Maudlin show. Oh, yes, they did. Yes, they did. You're right. And it was called, when I was on, it was called Sammy and Company. Mm-hmm. It was going to be, it was like a, you know, musical variety sketch comedy. Mm-hmm. The and company were sketch comedy players. Uh, beautiful woman named Joyce Jilson, who later had a career as an astrologer. Huh. She was a Broadway star opposite Anthony Newley. Hmm. And uh, Avery Schreiber was one of the and company, but uh, and Al- Alan Thick was one of the writer was the other writer. Mm-hmm. Alan Thick and I wrote the show, but as it turns out, Sammy was not interested in doing sketches, hmm. so it became just a talk show with a host. And after the first nine or ten episodes, it became it was Sammy and Company, but the and company disappeared. It was just Sammy. Oh, okay. Okay, and I think I saw some George Burns specials, too. Yeah, well, I, 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 I did the pilot for George Burns Comedy Week. That was the show with Catherine O'Hara. Okay. And that was picked up, and we did uh, 13 of those. Hmm. And, and one of those was spun off into a series called Leo and Liz with Harvey Corman and Valerie Perrine. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, wow. I mean, so, so many things have just, you know, Rooted off of all these shows that you've worked on here, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, and um, after that, you know, I guess uh, you. Oh, I also see that you wrote an episode of The Odd Couple. What was that like? Well, that was, that was fine. It was. Uh, I think uh, Oscar almost gets married. <laughs> That's great. That that was such a good show. I mean, um, I was a story editor on that show, mm-hmm. and I, I had to quit on one day's notice to go off with Steven Spielberg to work on Jaws, or what I call the fish movie. Right, right, the fish movie, of course, of course. Um, Worked on Odd Couple when I got the fish movie. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that, that I guess that would have been right around the same year there, yeah. And I went, then when I got back from the fish movie, it was still winter, it hadn't been released or anything, so nobody knew anything about it. Mm-hmm. And I still had to keep working for a living, so that's what I did the four Flip Wilson specials. Oh, okay. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and then opened and my life changed. Of course, of course. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was just such a, I've, I've heard so much about that movie, uh, you know, Jaws, um, you know, um, the making of the movie, all the things that went on on set and everything, and um, just such a such a big uh, movie back then. I can remember when it came out, I was about six. And I actually never saw the movie until I was about 10. 
um, because all I needed to see, uh, there was a movie house in my neighborhood. And all I needed to see was that poster. Yeah. And um, I could see the proportion of that shark on that poster to that woman. He could eat her in one bite. Yeah. And I didn't go into the ocean for a whole summer. <laughs> and then um, when a couple of years later, I actually ended up seeing the movie because um, uh, this is like 79, I guess. Our uh, neighbors got a VCR and we were invited over to watch Jaws. And I finally got to see what all the hoopla was about <laughs> from you know, being scared to death of it to you know, having not seen it to seeing exactly what it was I was scared of. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And... Um, so a little bit later on, um, uh, you know, you had, you know, I guess kind of going back to working with Steve Martin and um, Carl Reiner to do The Jerk. Yep. And uh, tell us about that, because I, I love your character in that movie, by the way, too. You want to tell yep. us what your character's yep. name was? Iron Balls McGinty. Iron Balls McGinty. It's a character defined by a sound effect. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> By a sound effect and a facial expression on Steve Martin, yep. <laughs> and um, so uh, and then after that, I guess it was a couple of years afterwards. You had Caveman. Yep. And uh, tell us about that experience because you both. Re- that's when I was a features guy after Jaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, during after the Flip Wilson special, mm-hmm. Lauren asked me to come to New York to do Saturday Night Live, which was just starting. He left L.A. to do Saturday Night Live. Oh, okay. And he asked me to come and do uh, do the uh, Herb Sargent part. You know, be the be the older comedy writer. Okay. But I was already in movies, and I said, you know, and that was everybody's goal in those days. Sure. So I stayed in L.A. and then I wrote uh, Which Way Is Up with Richard Pryor. So my comedy credentials were still intact. Oh, okay. So I had written a big movie, big summer popcorn movie and I'd written a Richard Pryor comedy that was pretty successful mm-hmm. so when Steve got his job at Paramount and we had been friends ever since Spudders Brothers right he said I got a deal to write a movie at Paramount will you write it with me and I said absolutely oh. so we started collaborating and we came up with the first few drafts of The Jerk mm-hmm. and then Carl Reiner came on board and Michael Elias and I, I stepped away because I had to do other stuff and they finished it, but the screen credit is Story by Steve Martin and Carl Gottlieb, screenplay by Steve Martin, Carl Gottlieb, and Michael Elias. Right, and, right. And it was a huge factor in that in that movie. Interesting. And, and of course, Carl Reiner, and that collaboration with Steve and Carl lasted for two more movies, Man with Two Brains and Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Oh, no kidding, no kidding. Okay, yeah. I, I've seen those, I've seen those. Yeah, th- those are great. Yeah. Those are great, yeah. And um, so, what was Carl? We just lost him a couple of uh, weeks ago. Yeah, uh, it's tragic. It was but a, he was ninety-four, ninety-eight, something. Yeah. 98. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite things that my father and I used to share on television. We didn't have a lot in common as far as our television viewing, but one thing that we used to love was that bit with Carl Reiner and Sid Caesar and. Um, Oh, Ernest T. Bass. Um, what was his? Oh, um, Howard Morris uh, from your show of shows where um, this is your life and yep. um, Uncle Goofy. Oh yep. my God, that that I still laugh at that to this day. And um, yeah, well, that was one of the you know your show of shows and Caesar's Hour. Mm-hmm. 
were, you know, the ancestors of all comedy on television. They really, it really was. It really was. And, um, you know, I, I was, I would just look at that and a lot of that stuff was filmed live, wasn't it? All live. All live. I mean, and, and just imagine too, I guess this would be where improv skills come in. I mean, could you imagine, I mean, cause you know, the things with you know, like the uncle goofy bit, they're running out into the audience, you know, chasing after Sid Caesar and um, just imagine if they were doing that and the crowd didn't think it was funny or if it wasn't going over. And I'm sure they have to keep the thing going because there's a certain amount of time that bit has to take. I mean, you really got to pull out some improv skills and uh, make it happen, I guess, huh? Yeah, well, you know, you, luckily everybody on television in those days uh, had those skills. They all came out of nightclubs and live theater and mm -hmm. reviews musical comedy reviews. So every, everybody had the chops. Yep. And the chemistry of that first company was uh, this, your show of shows. I mean, you know, they Neil Simon wrote a play about it, you know, Laughter on the 23rd Floor. Oh, okay. About, about the writer's room at your show of shows. Okay, interesting. And interesting. I'm still friends with Mel Brooks, who, oh. you know, who was there and uh, probably the Mel Brooks and, and Danny Simon are the only ones left. Okay, okay, right, yep, yep, and, um, yeah, right, because Neil Simon wrote for them too, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. The Dick Van Dyke show is a very, is uh, Carl Reiner's version of that life. Dick Van Dyke show was written for, Carl Reiner wrote it for himself. Right, 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 yeah, and I, I've heard that. The joke is that they, they said, the pilot, we, we love the pilot, but we've got to recast you. <laughs> Oh my! But he played Alan Brady. <laughs> right, right, sure. That that was such a great show. Um, I but absolutely the spirit of that original writers' room. I mean, everybody was writing from what they knew. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, and um, yeah, and and you know, both Maury Amsterdam and Rose Marie were just absolutely wonderful on that <laughs> show. As everybody was really good. Everybody, uh, Richard Deacon, and um, of course Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, just what a wonderful cast. What a wonderful cast. Um, so I wanted to ask a couple more questions here. Um, uh, caveman, uh, we had kind of started to mention a little bit here, but, um, that was one again, you had written and directed, um, you had Ringo Starr and John Matuzak from the Raiders and it, tell me about that experience. Well, two producers, uh, Larry Terman and David Foster approached me. They had a deal at Warner brothers. Mm-hmm. And I was a, you know, a writer of some reputation by that time. Oh, yeah, I would say. <laughs> yeah. So they said, they approached me and they said, we have an idea. Are you familiar with 1 million BC? And I said, the black and white version or the Raquel Walsh and the fur bikini version? <laughs> and, and they said, both. We want to do that only funny. <laughs> wow. So I, I said, sure. And I wrote something and rewrote it and rewrote it and then they wanted it more slapsticky and they said would you mind working with another writer and I said depends on who it is mm -hmm. they said Rudy DeLuca he's slapstick he works with Mel mm -hmm. I said okay I you know I, I will approve of Rudy so mm -hmm. Rudy and I went to work we took the script in a new direction and then we got a green light you know the studio said okay let's make this wonderful I had the unpleasant chore of telling Rudy that we got the green light. <laughs> and 
And he, his agents had told him that if the show, if the show was, was uh, greenlit, he'd get to direct it. Hmm. That was never a possibility. It was in my contract that I directed it. Oh, okay. But okay. I had to tell him that he wasn't going to direct it. And he got very frosty. And hmm. Was very. Happy. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And but, in, but in any case, we we had a funny script and we had a funny cast. Shelley Long, first job in movies. Oh, right, right. That's right. She was in it too. You right. Up, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Jack Guilford. Jack Guilford. Yes. Yes. Avery Schreiber. You. Yes. Your gosh, that's right. And um. Ringo Starr and Barbara Rock and Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid. No kidding. He must have been. God, he must have been young at that time. He must have been like, probably about twenty-five or something, huh? Yeah, he was a young guy. Yeah, I think he had just done uh, Hoosiers. Is that right? Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. Um, as a matter of fact, too, you know, my wife had actually worked with Avery Shriver at the Jupiter Theater in Florida. Um, yeah. She played his wife, and I can't remember the name of the show. Um, Was it on Second Avenue? Possibly. Possibly. That's the kind of show that you would do. Yep. Yep. And um, he actually, uh, what it was, she was an apprentice down there, and um, all the apprentices would act in all the shows, and then they would have somebody like Avery Shriver or Don Knotts or um, Joel Gray or somebody come in and do now, master we classes. Used, we used to talk about uh, dinner, dinner theater casts mm-hmm. where they would ask somebody who was popular on television, but you know, not necessarily right. Mm-hmm. The, the classic version is, you know, Martha Ray and Forrest Tucker in The King and I. Wow. <laughs> I don't think that ever happened, but that was the kind of cast that you would get at Jupiter. Oh, wow. No kidding. No kidding. Um, my wife told me that they did uh, Driving Miss Daisy with Ted Lang as the, um, as Hoke. I guess he yeah. was the driver. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, they, those theaters, regional theaters, they're a great place for uh, actors to work in live theater. Yep. Short of Broadway. If, you know, you might not... Broadway producer might not risk a Broadway budget on you, but in, in places like Jupiter and Bucks County Playhouse and just all over you know, the Sobrero Dinner Theater in Arizona, mm-hmm. there's all these places where actors could work. I, I I almost got a job playing Teddy Roosevelt in Arsenic Old Lace at, at, uh, in Chicago. Wow. Sisters. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So one one last thing I wanted to ask you about here, and this was another project that you kind of did with. Um, that was a job I always regretted not getting because I would have I would have dined out on that production for years. Oh, I bet, I bet. Um, one last one I wanted to ask you about here, and this is one where you kind of got to work with your friend Larry Hankin again. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time was Amazon Women on the Moon, especially the Invisible Man part. Yes. Could you tell yes. us a bit about that? <laughs> that was just that, that. That part was hilarious. John Landis was putting it together, and he had a notion to cast directors in all the supporting comedy roles. Sure, you know, the, the bit parts. And if you look at that movie, you'll see you know there's a whole roster of directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was watching this go down. I was on the he was on the Universal lot, and I was at Universal at the time. And I ran into John at the commissary. I said, how come you haven't asked me to be in your movie yet? I'm a director. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, wait, yes, you are. Okay. 
So he cast me and Jonathan Demi as FBI uh, FBI agents one and two. Okay. <laughs> uh, that was an into the, uh, that was an into into the night. Oh, okay. But in Amazon Women, um, uh, I got to direct. I was hired as a director, one of five, mm-hmm. and I directed some very funny episodes, uh, including my first uh, work with somebody doing full frontal nudity. Oh, right. Yeah, the Pet House Pet of the Year. Um, yep. yep. Wasn't, wasn't Andrew Dice Clay in that part? You know, I don't remember. I don't think so. Okay. He, I thought... wasn't, he wasn't very big then. Okay, yeah. That may have been right before he broke, but I think he was the boyfriend who came in. I remember that part because the girl's, you know, like taking off her clothes and everything. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh my God. And then the boyfriend comes in and starts yelling. I'll have to go back and check that again. But um, that's great. Well, well, Carl, I appreciate you spending some time with us here on Foul Players Radio this evening. Um, It's been a wonderful opportunity to talk to you. I've really enjoyed myself. And um, all of these great credits and all these great things that we've seen um, in the past are just a treat to be able to get the story behind a lot of these things. So I really thank you. Well, happy, happy to share. You've been listening to Carl Gottlieb here on Foul Players Radio, and we will see you next time. This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner. Howdy, it's Matt Gwynn here, popping in to let you know about the adventures of the albino rhino. It's a show, uh, Frank the Giraffe here, my co-host, James Godwin, and myself put on for you guys twice a week. Uh, every Wednesday, we talk to a comedian, and every Friday, we call it Freaky Friday. The show itself is not safe for work, and that freak is definitely a different word. I just don't know what podcast you're going to be listening to this promo on. And I don't want to, uh, you know, start screaming explicatives while you're sitting in your office. If you're lucky enough to have been able to go back to the work that you did before inside of an office or whatever, you know, but we go on an adventure twice a week and it's a good time because we get to sit down and talk to some really cool people. Uh, And I enjoy it because, you know, I'm just curious little albino who uh, likes to get to know folks, you know? You can find us a couple ways, actually multiple ways, really. Man, there's a lot of different ways to find us. You can find us through our central hub, which is www.albinorhino.me. It's the website you can find me on. And then, you know, the podcast, you can find the videos on YouTube. Search for Adventures of the Albino Rhino, also linkable from our website. And you can also find us through Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Radio Public, and Spotify. That's right. We're on the same place Joe Rogan is. Granted, we're not we're not the Joe Rogan experience, but you know what I mean? We're there. We're there. So give us a listen. Promise you won't be promise you won't be dissatisfied. And enjoy your day.
is going on, minions? Mike here for Misery Point Radio, and you're listening to the Coast to Coast Power Hour on the SJ Network. Now, I know what you're thinking. Mike, what the F is a Coast to Coast Power Hour? Well, my uneducated and uninformed friend, the Coast to Coast Power Hour is a Borg-like collective of epic podcasters from epic podcasts that have all come together to discuss the important things in life. Pop culture, current events, random awesomeness, stuff like that. Trust me, you need this in your life. For more information on this show and all the shows on the Coast to Coast Power Hour, as well as on the SJ Network, reach out to publicist Steve Joyner at www.s-j-network.com or stevesjnetwork at gmail.com. No need to thank me. I'm just out here, you know, changing lives. What's Your and Binge is a podcast brought to you by Chris, Anchor, and Spotify. And what we talk to our guests about is what they're currently binge-watching on TV. And uh, what we do is we like to uh, take a different approach. I don't want to know what the name of the show is that they're going to talk about before they come on. I have to actually guess it. So I ask them who, what, when, where, why, and uh, try to figure out what it is that they're watching. A lot of times I'm able to guess it. And sometimes I'm not, and that's fine. That adds to the comedy of the show. We like to bring our guest on, whether they're a model or an actress or a producer or a musician, and just let them have a platform to be able to tell everybody what they have coming up next and also entertain everybody with what's worth watching. So I hope everybody tunes in for the next episode of What's Your F and Binge. Thanks. It's Chris. <laughs> 